will report and discuss. I'm amazed how often should and ought to pops up in my speech every day. I don't count them, but I notice them all the time. It's constant. Okay. So what does that mean? Um, constantly describing the world that doesn't quite exist. I'm setting myself up for disappointment sometimes. Oh, and I, I think I asked you about saying to myself, I should do the dishes, and what should I do, and what could I say instead? He said, I get to do the dishes, and I had a lot of trouble with that. I just, the dishes don't appeal to me. But then I thought, I get to have clean dishes and an empty sink, and that I can deal with. I like having clean dishes. Well, all I can say is doing dishes didn't appeal to me either until I started saying I get to do dishes. Now I get to do the dishes. So what, what you're saying is that um, however you've been conditioned, that's the way it is, and you don't care. No, I do care about it, and I try not to say it as much. That isn't what you said. <coughs> you said, I don't want to say I get to do the dishes. Doing dishes doesn't appeal to me. My conditioning is very important to me. <laughs> That's what that says, isn't it? I'm very happy being fucked up. <laughs> it's just an ongoing attitude that we have. This is the way I am. Why would you want to be this way? No offense. So. And I look at most people, why would you want to be the way that you are? Why not? Huh? Why not? It's for you to answer, not me. <clears throat> if you're perfectly content being a robot, whether it happens to be nicely programmed or not, Fine. I could never be content being a machine, no matter how well it was programmed. It just didn't appear to me. And I think for the rest of my life, um, having to feel a certain way about doing the dishes was not to my taste. That's my answer to why not. So what does all that should mean? What does what it say about the state of affairs? We just got a hell of a lot of noise. I couldn't hear a word you said. I'm not happy. I'm setting myself up all the time. Thank you.
too much outside noise. <coughs> that's um that's really the big thing as far as I'm as far as I can see. Is the fact what we're really talking about, we're, we're calling this I. Say, I do this and I do that. But the fact is, I'm not doing it at all. It's the personality. Yeah, that's the only thing that really matters. Whether it's good or bad or pretty or ugly or whatever um, emotional words you'd like to put on it, the fact is, it's just a little clockwork machine ticking away. There's really no point in indulging in, in this incredibly difficult thing that we're doing unless you see that and don't like it. It doesn't matter whether it's programmed well or not. <laughs> that's our favorite thing to do, isn't it? When it does something that's to your taste, then you identify with it and say, oh, what a wonderful thing. <coughs> Is that right? And when it does something that isn't to your taste, and you say, oh, look what a terrible machine this is. But in either case, you're trapped in the machine. That's really what the work is for, is to find a way to be present inside this body, whether it's to your taste or not. Okay. All those shoulds, just make bars around you. They make bars around your life. Right? Every single show is a bar in the cage that you live in. It's one less thing that you're free about. Personally, I'm free to do the dishes or not do the dishes. You've probably noticed that. Before the cleaning lady started coming on Thursday, you probably noticed that it really didn't matter to me whether there's dishes in the sink or not. <laughs> One way or the other, I could care less. Anything else? Yeah. I think the experiment was to look for an adaptation. Like mm -hmm. Something comes up, and I decided to watch Girlfriend Melissa because she's always flying off the handle and getting into a rage. And sure enough, the very next morning after our meeting, she was really mad that some guy came into work and she was telling me all her revenge fantasies. She's going to call him up all the time and call him names and things. And she really just went off for about 15 minutes. So I wrote my date book for three days later to ask her how she felt. And it was, it was like clockwork. So I called her up after she got off work and I said, how are you doing? She says, I have a fever. And I started cracking up because three days earlier she was being a hothead and now she had a hothead. Yeah. I don't think we can make correspondences well, like that. That was a little too direct, but it was pretty funny. I remembered it. Okay. Okay, anything else? I feel guilty. When I, <clears throat> I'm going through the same thing he's going through, <clears throat> when I notice, when I say I should or I ought or any of those, <clears throat> I feel a lot of guilt because I find myself doing it a lot and it puts me in a, uh, puts me in an uncomfortable 
I feel uncomfortable about it. Casting we must never be uncomfortable. <laughs> Back to the master decision. The highest evil, the most evil thing you can do is to fail to avoid pain. What the hell is so bad about being uncomfortable? So how do you learn that? How do you learn that pain is not uncomfortable? You can you feel comfortable with pain. How, how I don't do you know how that? to do that? I don't know how to do that. That's um, that's just playing with words. Pain is uncomfortable. It's kind of the definition of the word, isn't it? <coughs> a better thing to say would be to say, how do I don't care that I'm uncomfortable, that I'm in pain? Oh. You do this work. That's what this is about. It's not an intellectual thing. If it were intellectual, we could write it in books and people would read them and their lives would change. It doesn't work that way. Lots of disturbances tonight. I have a question, Phil. This isn't pertaining to the experiment because I wasn't here that week, so I didn't know what it was. I don't care whether what it's pertaining to. Okay. Um, I've been trying not to make ideals or fantasies, and it's leaving me, I, I've been feeling really just empty. And you're going to say that. <coughs> Anytime something is taken away, people bitch that they're empty. Explain to me how you can fill something unless it's empty. So you just said the same thing that he said. The highest evil is to fail to escape pain. So you feel empty. Who cares? Why is this a problem? Other than the fact that it happens to be uncomfortable. So yet again, the master decision runs everything. So you're telling me that if there is a really wonderful experience out there, but involves a little discomfort, you don't want it. I want it. Okay, then stop itching that it's uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you get it? <coughs> it's, uh, I don't know any way to do this work without feeling uncomfortable, Mike. I never figured out how to do that. So I have, I'm like, <clears throat> I get it. In mode, I just have total sensory overload. Every word, everything I see, everything around me, I'm noticing. God, it just seems like too much. It's overwhelming, you know. <clears throat> so what do you think is expected of you? I don't know. Don't, don't just throw the question away because it doesn't make sense to you. At least consider it, Mike. Um, <clears throat> do you find some way to deal with it? 
able to do with it. That that fluctuates very rarely. Very rarely. Then we now understand what's going on. It's very little work. So where's the pressure really coming from? Right. Which means you can do something about it. <coughs> Except that you don't feel able to run the machine. I feel like the machine's running me. Of course it's running you. <laughs> and it's making a lot of noise. Which is exactly what you're doing right now. This is called what? Which decision are you acting out right this moment? Rights, maybe? Plus a lot of one. So one and two are having a great time, and no work is going on. There is no person present here looking at the machine and saying, it's acting out decisions one and two. So what do you expect to happen? If all you're going to do is let the machine run itself. Just what is happening. <coughs> right. <coughs> so you have a way to look at it, except that you're just sitting here letting the machine run itself, which is playing the game of being argumentative right now. Okay. It's very simple. You decide that you can endure its bit of pain, and you start observing yourself. And you see what happens. You already know what happens when you play the game the way you play it. You've been doing this for a long time. It doesn't go anywhere interesting, does it? No. Try something new. It's the same. <coughs> Try something new. See if you can observe the self. See if you can observe the self being guilty instead of being guilty. It's not your guilt. See if you can observe what we talked about last week. The consequences of being guilty, which is that you die. See if you can wake up. It really doesn't matter how your machine is programmed. Right? The question is, can you use that machine to come alive? However it's programmed, you could if you wanted to. Um, use it and observe it and come alive in the middle of it. Does that make sense? No. No. no? Then I don't know what the hell to say. Use the machine to come alive <coughs> in the middle of it. In the middle of while I'm observing the process going on. I'm not Mike, how many weeks have you missed recently? Hmm. We've okay. played this game before, haven't we? And yet I'm supposed to be responsible for saying it in non-technical language because you haven't bothered to come here and learn the technical language. Let's talk about this later. I don't think it's um, fair to the people who are kind of diligently working and coming here to expect me 
to make long statements out of things that can be said simply in a technical language, do you? No. It's no. very rude. So if you don't understand, ask me about it privately later, and I'll happily explain it, okay? second DBU. Um, and I went back to a previous week and looked at uh, things that you made mention of for the fourth DBU and saw it with greater clarity. Is there a point to this besides just a report? No. Okay. Not okay. You're working. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be much more interesting to make observations here rather than just reports of something that was done. That's something that everyone can use. Okay. The fact that you're working is there's a, there's a microphone right beside where you threw that. So, hello? Huh? There's a microphone right beside where you oh. threw that. Do you think it's nice to be so upfront? No, I don't think it's nice and, at all. And you just say exactly what you think, and no. without even thinking if the other person is do you want an feeling a little bit you, bad, or or do you want to tell me what a rotten son of a bitch I am? No. <laughs> well, then you got the answer to. No, I want an answer. No, I gave it to you. No, when? I don't think it's nice at all. Okay. I didn't know my job was to be nice. No, it, it wasn't the question. It wasn't about you. About <coughs> us, all of us in general. Can we? Can oh, we? Sure. Can we handle? <laughs> it was about me. No, no. I do the same thing all the time. I think maybe we should handle the truth with elegance, sometimes, or not. Okay. You handle it with elegance, and I'm going to handle it abruptly. Mm. I've been asking this question to myself all the time, too, so... <clears throat> but this is not all the time. This is a very specific set of conditions. There is no way that I would do this anyplace else but here and now. Here and now, I didn't promise to be nice. <clears throat> That's why I tell people, don't bring people these meetings after they've been in progress for a while because I no longer am nice and it scares the crap out of people and I know it. So I repeatedly tell the people who come here, let's set up a special place where we can talk about the ideas and people can see if they're interested in them. We did it, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? And yet people still persist on bringing people into the middle of a very uncomfortable situation. Folks, you ain't selling the work. 
You're scaring the crap out of people and asking them to leave. I repeatedly told you this. <clears throat> Your zeal to um, spread the word and be missionaries is making a fool out of you. And possibly harming the people that you do it to. We've said this before. <clears throat> if someone, because they find this not to their taste, you bring them here, <clears throat> decides that the work But that's not my case at all. I didn't find that. I that don't way. care. I'm not talking not to you. I'm talking to the It was a question I had in my mind about myself and in general. It wasn't about what you were doing. Okay. Is it okay if I finish what I I find it valuable. If the person decides that the work has no value because of this particular experience, then you've stolen from them the ability to ever wake up. Because anything that they ever find that works will be like this. It won't be this, but it will be like this. And they'll run like hell. It's very rotten here. And I repeatedly said this, and apparently you don't care about other people. I repeatedly suggested that if you want to introduce people to this, that we need the time and I'm willing to be nice, which is what people want. And we talk about it in an entirely different way. Not as workers, but as an intellectual idea. This is a stupid thing to do, folks. It's called wanting to help someone. I know of no more despicable thing that you can do than try to help someone. Repeatedly mentioned that. No, I don't think it's nice, and I don't think it's even a good thing to do. This is something that I do under very specific circumstances. I do exactly the same thing. I don't care. My question you. was about you but yes. you asked me yes but I well then i'm answering you about me yeah you answer it for yourself about you <coughs> but you know when i do that i don't know if i'm happy with myself so but then sometimes you have to do it there's no other way in this work we said that anytime i look at someone else and see something that disturbs me it's actually about me, not about them. This is your question for you. <clears throat> and the answer is, it's irrelevant. Because you have no control over your personality. You're sitting here playing the game of being someone who can actually run the animal that they live in. And it's not true. The animal just does what it does. So whether it's good, bad, or anything else, it's irrelevant because you have no control over it. Mm -hmm. That's true. So the question is meaningless. Even if we get an answer of whether it's good or bad, which is ridiculous, because nothing is good or bad except in a particular circumstance where it may be workable or not workable. Something that's good in one circumstance is terrible in another. You want it, for instance? 
If somebody's lying in a dead faint on the ground and you put ammonia under their nose, you've done a good thing. If you walk around blowing ammonia fumes at everybody you meet, under any other circumstances, you're doing a despicable thing. There is no such thing as good or bad, is there? In one circumstance, it saves someone's life. In another circumstance, you're risking burning their lungs. But we pretend as though there's such a thing as good and bad. The question is just meaningless. It, it only has meaning in a particular framework. In this particular framework, I do not think it is nice, but I think it's useful. Under almost any other conditions, I think it's a despicable thing to do. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it just hurts people for no reason. Yeah. Here, hopefully, I'm hurting people for a good reason. If I'm not, then I hope they'll have the presence of mind to leave. <laughs> Nowhere in all of this did I hear a simple statement, which is, I cannot afford this. <clears throat> We've talked a lot about emotions. A number of people have talked about various emotions they're feeling. One person felt guilty. Another person felt guilty. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm adapting. Another person felt empty. <coughs> All this discussion about the fact, but it, even though we just talked about what the consequence of that fact is, no one said, I can't afford this. This is killing me. And it might just kill me before I have a chance to actually arrive. Because so far I haven't actually shown up on planet Earth. That would be an interesting thing to see. I cannot afford these emotions. If I actually look into the vicious cycle and see that it brings about the destruction of the form, That's the only real point of view that I could come to, isn't it? I can't afford these emotions. I can't afford to get angry. I cannot afford to get afraid. I can't afford to be guilty. I can't afford to feel insecure. Because it's killing me. That's not to, uh, a dear friend of mine once wrote a series of little pamphlets which he tried to pass out to his doctor friends, <laughs> put in his waiting rooms. One of them was like, uh, how to raise a juvenile delinquent. 
Another one was How to Be Sick and Miserable All the Time. <laughs> I had odd little titles like that. And that's exactly what they described, how to do those things, on the theory that if you knew how to do something despicable, then you would also know how to stop it, wouldn't you? If you knew what exactly what it was that made you sick and miserable all the time, then you could stop being sick and miserable, couldn't you? But if you don't know what it is that's doing that, then of course you'll go on doing it, because you don't know what's doing it. If you don't know what makes a person into a juvenile delinquent, then of course you might raise one, because you would never know if you did it. So his theory was that if you tell people how to do something they don't want to do, they wouldn't do it. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? If you tell them the right way to do something, they'll never know if they accidentally did it another way. Because the right way would mean you could only do this. Isn't that right? <coughs> when there's a thousand things to do, you can only do two. And obviously, you can't narrow life down that way, can you? So his theory was, out of the thousand things, let me tell you twenty that will do some pretty serious damage. And just avoid those, then do the other 980 or whatever it is, you see. Except, of course, his doctor friends, he was a doctor too, but all of his doctor friends started losing their patience. Because they would look at these little pamphlets in the reading rooms, you know, in the waiting rooms where they're waiting for their doctor, and realize that they did each and every one of those things. <clears throat> and rather than say, I would like to live a better life, they just stopped going to that doctor who said such nasty things to them. So the doctors said, these things are absolutely correct. They're completely accurate. And we want you to throw them in the trash and never see them again. Because we have to pay for the Mercedes. We're not here to educate people. We're here to pay for the Mercedes. Now, that sounds silly. But what about the patients who didn't want to be educated? Who would go to another doctor who just wanted to pay for the Mercedes and didn't want to educate them and teach them to do well? That's the boat that we're all in here. We hear things like that. <coughs> what do you mean I can't afford to be angry? I'm angry all the time. If you tell me I can't afford to be angry, then I'm in deep shit. We hear words like that, and that's all we can think. Well, then I'm in deep shit, and we start feeling bad. Except we just got through saying that you can't afford to feel bad. So maybe that wasn't the point of telling you that you can't afford to feel bad, was to make you feel bad. Maybe the point was to tell you you need to learn how to feel good, regardless of what's going on. That would be to be a conscious human being, wouldn't it? But somehow, we don't make that leap from I can't afford to this to I better learn how to live a different way. We just sit here and feel bad. We want to get out as fast as we possibly can. So we need to decide whether we're going to be one of the patients who reads the pamphlets that says this is how to die and decides they'd, re they'd rather die that way in ignorance than live understand it. You make a decision which you prefer to be.
it takes a lot of work to avoid those 20 things being on the list because we've all been taught that they're perfectly normal things to do but then you notice that most people are sick and miserable too you notice how many juvenile delinquents there are in the world so sure we've been taught those are all perfectly reasonable things to do and we do them and we get the consequences they're not reasonable when you see the consequences that's called being responsible isn't it when you start considering the consequences of your actions and realizing you need to accept the consequences of whatever you do, that whatever you do, you will bear the consequences and you've begun to be responsible. <coughs> so someone who truly sees the relationship between their emotional states and their physical well-being realizes they can't afford the consequences of their emotions that they better learn to feel something besides anger, fear, guilt, and insecurity quick. So we teach people here how to die. That's really what it comes down to, isn't that right? Last week, well, the week before, <laughs> we taught you exactly how to die, a miserable, prolonged, unpleasant death on the theory that if you knew how to do that then you could just not do that and maybe see what the consequences would be okay. <clears throat> so as you watch these ways that you come up with excuses to feel bad consider what you're doing understand this thing, this way of living that we call here the vicious cycle, well enough that you see the consequences of living that way. Ask yourself if you want to do that. Okay. Any questions or comments? I observed some of the effects of the feelings on the body. <coughs> <coughs> Me too. <Yeah. laughs> Excuse me for a second. And? And it affected um, my energy level. Probably other things I'm not remembering. That's an observation in a similar vein. How the emotions are not good. I didn't say they were bad. Right, right. I said they would kill you. I did not say they were bad. I don't know whether it's bad to die. What an odd thought that it's bad to die. depends on what you want to do. If you want to live uh, well and for a considerable period of time, your emotions will be a tremendous detriment. Why do we persist in this idea of absolutes that says there's a good and there's a bad? I am very happy to 
be adapting right now. You can't believe how happy I am. It means I'm still alive. I don't care if it's unpleasant. It's better than the consequences that I could have had if X had not done this to save my life. I could have been dead. I'm not sitting here hacking up some stuff out of the lungs. I could be six feet under the ground right now. So I don't think this is a bad thing. I think this is a wonderful thing. This is saving my life. Why do we have to play this game of good and bad? This is what is. I went through a period of stress. It did some serious damage to the body. The next took care of it by this thing that we call a cold. I'm perfectly happy to be having this experience. It's much better than the alternative, which is to die. I'm not ready to die yet. Am I ready to die? No, that'll be a different story. Let's do the work. The work says take every single idea that you're given, question it, and come up with an experiment that can prove it wrong. Do not think about this. Prove it wrong. Go out and do something to prove it wrong. What's the point of thinking? Okay. Learn for yourself. It's the only way that things change in your life is through experience. If you think about it, the only thing that'll change is the way the recordings get played back in your head. Your life itself won't change, because that's changed by experience, isn't it? When you have an experience of something, it changes your life. When you think about it, it doesn't change a damn thing. So you walk around saying things like, I'm trying. I'm working at it very hard. I'm not accomplishing a damn thing, but boy, am I busy. <laughs> but with experience, something in the life has changed. And something that used to be extremely hard for me becomes just something I do all the time. Okay? Any other questions or comments? Let's take a break. I still don't like the pain. Um, well, that goes without saying. 
Yeah. What's, what's so I'm I'm wondering what you would suggest to go from there. Observe yourself trying to stop the pain. Do the work. Do the work. Do the work. There's nothing else to do. There's no other suggestion I will make. Do the work. Okay. You didn't describe that as the self experienced a pain that it didn't like and began to find ways to improve the situation so the pain would not be there anymore. You described it as what you did. That is not the work. Do the work. Every second of every day. What else could possibly have value? You've been fortunate enough to find the most valuable thing on planet Earth, and you don't see any value in it. We went through that the last time we were together, didn't we? find the most valuable thing there is, something that is literally priceless, you could not pay enough to match the value of this, and yet you put no value on it. <coughs> I remember someone who made a statement about situations like that. I believe he said, don't throw pearls before swine. They'll just run the pearls and then turn around rend you. Isn't that what he said? The swine is the not eyes. If you insist on giving the most valuable thing there is to them, and thinking that they will do it for you as if they were able, when the work is only for the real part of you, the not eyes cannot do anything with this. It's designed to free the real part that is trapped inside an animal that functions quite well without it. This animal called a human being doesn't need your presence. It's very clear, because you're very rarely here, and yet you function just fine. You go to work, you get the job done, you bitch a lot about it, make it as hard as possible, but it does get done, all without your presence. The animal just does it all by itself. <clears throat> the teaching ideas are to free the real part of you from the belief that it is the form that it lives in, so that one day it can do whatever it wants, regardless of what the form wants. When the form says, I want to do something really stupid because it will give me pleasure, you'll be able to say no. And you'll just have to say, okay, <laughs> nothing I can do about it. If you say no, that's the way it is. And if the animal says, I've got to get out of this pain, you can say no. We're just going to sit here, and there's nothing we can do about it. 
you're free to do or not do. You're no longer run by the sensations called pleasure and pain. You can actually come up with something you would like to accomplish and do it regardless of what's going on. Because you set your will to it. That's what the teaching was for. So that you can live. Not so that you can improve everything so that you never experience pain and get the ultimate pleasure. It's to give you the freedom to live in the middle of an animal that like all other animals on this planet only cares about pleasure and pain. Just like a cat. Just like a dog. Just like a horse. That's all it cares about. Whether or not it's being approved of whether or not people like it, whether or not people are paying attention to it for the right reasons, of course. Whether it's not, not it's getting enough comfort, whether or not it feels of some importance. That's all it cares about. Thank the Lord that only human beings want to be important. Can you imagine what this world would be like if bobcats wanted to be important? <laughs> Only human beings have that incredible abuse called the urge to power and importance. Because only human beings have the ability to be more than an animal. So animals don't have that. They don't want to be important. But we do, because we're abusing the part of ourselves that could have done something real by trying to be important and look good all of the time and be safe. Mm -hmm. There is no safety in this world. Why do we want to be feel important? It's terrible. I hate that feeling. Would knowing why make any difference at all? If you knew why, what would what would that do you? What good would that do you? Yeah, maybe not the why, but how how to stop that feeling of wanting to be important. You can't stop the feeling. You can stop acting on the feeling. The feeling is a physical phenomenon. You can't stop the feeling any more than you can stop your brain from ticking away or stop your kidneys from processing forgotten the word poisons. Why would you want to stop the feeling? It would be much more interesting to stop acting on the feeling. That's called freedom. The freedom to feel it and not act on it. That's true. It's just a physical function of the body. I have no desire to stop thoughts. I know billions of people are not billions, but a lot of people who want nothing more than to stop thoughts, mainly because they hate what the thoughts say all the time. It bugs them. It doesn't bug me. It's just a mechanical function of the body. It doesn't bug me any more than the heart beating all the time. I don't know too many people who get upset because their heart beats all the time. I don't think that most people even notice that their heart's beating all the time. Why can't you treat the thoughts the same way? 
It's a purely mechanical function of the body that happens all the time, and you just ignore it, just like you do a heartbeat. If you're not interested in the fact that your heart is beating, because it's doing a fine job, then you don't even notice it. You really only notice it when it starts messing up. Or when you've just gone through a lot of physical exertion. It's become very noticeable. It's called stress, isn't it? Put some stress on the body and suddenly the heartbeat becomes very noticeable. You live in stress 100% of the time, practically. So, of course, various functions in the body are very noticeable, like thoughts. The thoughts are trying frantically to find some way to get you out of this state that you're in called stress, more or less continual stress. And they can't. They're doing the best they can. This physical function of the body is trying very, very hard <coughs> to solve a problem for you that it cannot solve, that only you can solve. And so it does it by constantly coming up with what it believes to be the source of the stress and calling it a problem and saying that if only I knew what was the cause of this problem, I could change it and then I would no longer be in this terrible condition. And of course that doesn't work because it's not the real source of the stress. You work really hard to solve the problem and you either fail miserably or you make even more problems as a result of having tried to solve that problem. Now you're under even more stress, and the mind works very hard to try and figure that out, and you get trapped in this terrible cycle. And you can end it like that. Just stop getting so damn stressed out. That's why we talk about the source of stress. If you know where stress comes from, instead of believing it comes from all these weird things, Somebody just told me that stress in their life comes from the fact that somebody else wants approval. So their life is stressful because they're around somebody who wants approval. Now what the hell are you going to do about that? Give them approval. Sure, that's what I want to do, become a slave to someone else's need for approval. I'll do it occasionally, but I've noticed something about greedy people. The more you give them, the more they want. That's not going to work, but that's the kind of crap that the mind comes up with. Ah! I know the problem! I know what the cause of it is! <laughs> now I know the solution! And I try the solution, and it makes it worse! Because you neglected to take into account greed. And somebody who wants approval all the time is very greedy, aren't they? Most people want it some of the time. But this person is greedy for approval, so nothing, no matter how much you ever give, will be enough. They'll just want more. That's no solution. That will make things even more stressful. But that's the way the mind works. And we take it oh so seriously. That's what I was trying to demonstrate outside. If you take any one of these things that the mind comes up with and says, here's my problem and here's the solution, now see, so you could do it with that because it's not your problem. 
something that you was your problem you couldn't do it with because it makes you look bad and I can never look bad what a problem that is I can do it with somebody else's but if we actually look at what the mind comes up with about these things we call problems the solution is absurd If you don't believe me, try it. Everybody has in their life somebody who wants constant approval. Go give them approval and see what happens. See if that's true or not. That they'll just want more and more and more until finally you won't have enough to give. Because that's not the source of the stress. That other person wanting constant approval is not the source of the stress. source of the stress is me, not them. Now that's a damn good thing if you consider it. If I'm the source of the stress, there's something I can do about it. If you're the source of the stress, then the only thing I can do is never be around you. That's <coughs> a real free life, isn't it? Where I have to spend the rest of my life trying to make sure that I'm never around this person because they're the source of my problems. They're to blame. Now I know the cause. I know why I have such problems. It's all your fault. And I never, ever, ever want to see you again. What am I going to do now? If I'm the source of the difficulty, I can do something about it. I can't change her. But I can do something about it with me. <clears throat> so we look at where stress comes from say it comes from expecting things to be ideal. Now wouldn't it be ideal if I lived in a world where people did not expect me to approve of them all the time? Oh, what a wonderful place that would be, wouldn't it? That's quite unpleasant being around somebody who constantly demands approval from you. Sometimes you're just not moved to deal with it. Not that it stops them from wanting you to deal with it. So I expect the world to be ideal. I expect the world to take my feelings into consideration. I expect the world to do what I want it to do. And of course I'm disappointed. And I find something to blame, that person. And so I get quite angry at them. Now I've got a nice little emotion. And I get to go through a nice little adaptation because I'm out of balance. So I have some kind of adaptation. And now I'm even more upset. All it goes. They're not the source of the problem. I am. Because I have an ideal about how other people ought to be. You shouldn't want constant approval. Now just how are you going to deal with that? That's the way that particular person was conditioned. To believe that they will die if they don't get enough approval. That is the point of view that's going on in that person. There's no compassion for a person trapped in such a horrible world, is there? 
where they actually believe that they're going to die soon unless they get enough approval. What a terrible way to live. I mean, that would excite compassion, I would think, in someone who is actually paying attention, wouldn't it? You live in a terrible world. You're ready to die every moment. Talk about stress, huh? Constantly thinking you're going to die in the next moment because not enough people are approving of you? Yuck! But I'm too busy thinking about my unpleasantness, that I'm the one that you're focusing all that need on, you see, and not understanding it. And so this is my ideal that says that people shouldn't do this. Well, maybe they shouldn't, I don't know. But there's a lot of people who've been conditioned that way. An awful lot. If you're going to have that ideal, you better go live in a cave. Not, not in this society anymore. <clears throat> so I can do something about that. I can look at what I expected that upsets me so much. So it was an illusion. It was just an illusion. I had the illusion that I could live life on planet Earth without being around people who desperately needed approval from me. Well, I was wrong. You can't do that. So I don't care. I don't mind being around people who desperately need approval. I don't even mind being around them and not giving it to them. Doesn't bother me one bit. I get more and more upset. They want, want this thing so desperately and I'm not in the mood for it right now. I don't care if they get upset. Sometimes I just give it to them for the hell of it. But I have learned this little thing in living here. Never do something three times in a row. So, when I'm around people like that, I'll give them approval no more than twice in a row, and the third time I will withhold it. Then I'll go back to giving it to them again another couple times. Because I've seen what happens when you do something three times in a row with a person. The first time, they think it's the most wonderful thing that ever happened. Isn't that right? Oh, you were so nice. You did that for me. The second time they say, thank you. The third time they say, what took you so long? The fourth time, it's just expected of you, isn't it? And God help you if you don't do it. That's the way human beings are conditioned. Never do anything three times in a row. That's the way human beings are conditioned. The fourth time, you will catch hell if you forget to do it. It's called not living in a world of ideals and understanding that human beings have been conditioned in a certain way and with enough awareness of what's going on you can live quite comfortably in this odd place called planet Earth. It's very simple. 
you're around a greedy person, never give it to them more than twice in a row, and the third time say no. And you know, two minutes later you can give it to them again. You just have to make sure you say no then. So that you don't get that particular piece of conditioning going that starts expecting it of you. That's when it's really unpleasant to deal with, isn't it? When you're wrong because you didn't do it. So with a little bit of understanding, you can experience considerable freedom. It doesn't upset you to be around people like that. You totally understand what's going on. You do whatever you damn well please. And you have a great time. And you don't get stressed out. All because you decided to take a simple idea called look and see that most of the stress that I'm living under comes from me. It does not come from outside of me. It comes from me. There's a certain amount of unavoidable stress in this world. Food here sucks. It is not good for us. I have no idea why. I have this theory, and part of it's because we decided to fix it and make it better. And probably a hundred years or so ago, it was probably pretty good. But now that we've made it better, it sucks. How many of you get gas a lot of the time? <laughs> you know what does it a lot? Vegetables. <laughs> Those things you're told to eat. They're absolutely essential. You have to eat them. It is best to eat them fairly raw. And they'll give you gas if you do. Most people. The food here sucks. It's quite stressful. You cannot get a proper nutrition on planet Earth for this particular physical form. So why hassle it? You just do the best you can. You can't do it, so there's no point in trying you just do the best you can. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that an awful lot of the food products that we eat now have been so changed by selective breeding over a considerable period of time now that they're not what people used to eat. I don't know, some of them are even good for you. Probably best that you don't even eat them. You gotta find out what those are for yourself different probably for everybody. <clears throat> but that is one source of stress that comes from outside. There's a certain amount of nutritional stress that there's nothing I can do about. I can just do the best I can to eat intelligently. Not that most of us really bother with that. <coughs> Our idea of eating intelligently is to read a book not to find out what th is good for this body, but to go read somebody else's opinion based on research with tons of bodies. So the only difficulty is that this body is not like those, any other body on planet Earth. And that research may have been a perfect diet for an imaginary person, but it may kill me if I ate that diet, because this body is not like that statistical norm that they did the research on. So that is not learning to eat properly, reading books, studying nutrition, uh, learning 
it to eat properly is listening to the body and letting it tell you what it's hungry for. It's very simple. <clears throat> There's a certain amount of stress that can come from activity. Most of that comes from suddenly changing your activity. Physical body takes time to adapt to change. It doesn't do it instantaneously for most people, especially the state most people are in. What could have been a 30-second process for most people may take a couple of weeks because their bodies are in pretty bad shape. But at any rate, that's what an adaptation is. It's changing the physical form to deal with varying circumstances. Okay? And, and life does that all the time. As the weather changes, the body adapts to the new weather. So when the weather changed this last time, it decided to be warm and dry after being fairly cool and damp. X adapted the body to being this particular set of circumstances so that you would go on living. But it does take a little bit of time to do that. When we're in charge of the activity, we have a tendency to change it suddenly, don't we? All of a sudden, tennis takes my fancy, so I go out and play four hours a day. And then wonder why I don't feel good. So I make sudden changes of, act of activity and don't allow the body time to adapt. If you would have played maybe half an hour the first day, and you know, maybe do that for a couple of days and then maybe do an hour and work up to four hours, it probably wouldn't have been stressful, would it? But we think we know better than life. And it causes ourselves a lot of stress through activity just by being foolish about the way we make changes in our life. We do it all of a sudden. Most people do it that way, don't they? When they decide their life is going to change, they make these huge changes all of a sudden. And they wonder why they don't feel very good. Well, you had no time to adapt to the changed environment. You don't have to do it that way. When I travel, I often use chapstick. I never use chapstick when I live in here in California. And yet the weather changes constantly here. This is one of the most fickle weather places there is. You'd think I would need it. Except the body is adapting. In traveling, there's such a dramatic change that I find that often just get chapped. And I used to just let him chap and come back here. A couple days later, they'd be healed. And finally one day, I said, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm stopping the adaptation, because that's what chapstick does. Did you know that? It prevents life from adapting to the new environment because it seals it off from the environment so it doesn't even know it has a new environment so it doesn't adapt. The second you stop using the chapstick, you're going to have to adapt to that environment. But I figure, you know, I'm just going to be there a couple of days and then I'm coming back here, so what if X doesn't know I change environments and adapts to it? <laughs> so I just finally said, I'm stopping this adaptation. Now if I were going to actually move somewhere, I would want that adaptation of going through a period of time as the lips change the way they make cells to adapt to that particular weather conditions. I would want that. 
But I'm only going to be there for a few days. I just one day decided this is ridiculous. About the time I get adapted to the new place, I'm on a plane flying home. Then I get to adapt to being back in L.A. again. This is crazy. So I bought some chapstick. But understand that all these odd little things that we do that we think are healing, I noticed every damn thing that I bought, looked at in the store, had eucalyptus. I just wanted, you know, some wax or something to put on my lips to protect them from me. But they had all these weird medications in them. <coughs> they're not medications. They're just things that stopped you from adapting. It's ridiculous. I didn't want a medication. There's nothing wrong. I just wanted to hide the environment for the lips so they wouldn't change for the new environment, you see. I, I couldn't find anything like that. Except petroleum products, and I hate the taste of it. And sensation of petroleum on my lips. You can find lots of petroleum products. I know they do make the other stuff. I just didn't see it in this stuff. Because I've seen it. But my point is, we think this is all medication. That it's doing some kind of healing process, when in reality, all it's doing is stopping you from adapting to a new set of circumstances. And as soon as you stop taking the damn stuff, you still have to adapt. It's ridiculous. You experience some stress, you have to adapt to go on surviving. Otherwise, you would die. Stress without that adaptation, that's what an adaptation is. You experience something that was going to kill you. That's called stress, okay? And so life adapts and does something with the body so that you don't die. That's called an adaptation. Things go on. <clears throat> Another source is from the environment. I do not mean what is called environmental stress today. I do not mean poisons. I do not mean smog. I do not mean invisible gases coming out of your walls. That's not what I mean by environmental stress. I mean things like a tree falling on your head, <coughs> a bullet hitting you in the body. That's what I call environmental stress. I came from outside of me. <coughs> it was quite stressful. Maybe it even chopped my leg off. I call that stressful. That's the whole point of adaptation. I've lived in California most of the life, not all of it, but most of it. Smog almost never bothers me. This body is completely adapted to smog. I almost never get red eyes from smog and I get from the back sleep a lot of the time. <coughs> smog just doesn't bother me. This body is adapted to breathing poison. You know what bothers me? Going to the cleaner. That's exactly right. <laughs> <coughs> if I actually go somewhere where the air is clean, I feel miserable <laughs> for about a week. Yeah. <laughs> and then I come back here and I feel miserable <laughs> for about a week while I can adapt to breathing smog again. I know, because I've left and come back and stayed away for a long period of time and it took a good week for the body to adapt and this body is pretty healthy i suppose most people probably go through that for months but it doesn't kill you unless you are so unhealthy 
that you cannot adapt to the stress. The smog didn't kill you. Your lifestyle did. That got you into such a state of poor health that smog could kill you. You're perfectly capable of breathing smog and, and surviving it. There are people in the South, <coughs> well, they're probably in other places too, but that's where I saw them, who consider it a religious experience to get bitten by poisonous snakes repeatedly in the evening. They don't die. I would. But they expose themselves slowly over a period of time to those poisons. They milk the snakes and drink little bits of it every few days before they'll ever let a snake bite them. And then when they first allow the snake to bite them, they've already milked most of the venom out so they don't get very much. And eventually over a period of literally a year for some of them, they can be bitten repeatedly by a snake with a lot of venom in it. And they get kind of a high. They start hallucinating. And they call it a religious experience. Okay? That's all right. I don't care. But the point is, you can adapt to poison. And yet we believe that smog will kill you and smoking will kill you and so on and so on. And yet there are people out there literally taking poison on purpose. It doesn't kill them. It's ridiculous. I spent many decades adapting to smog. Those people spent maybe about a year or so adapting to snake poison. If the smog bothers you, it's not because of the smog. It's because of your state of poor health. You can't adapt to it. Well, that's something I can do something about. It's not outside of me anymore. Trees falling on me, cars running into me, bullets coming at me, fists coming at me. You know, it's a little tougher to do something about. I guess I'll just have to adapt. But I can stay in a state of pretty good health because I understand that most of the stress in my life comes from here, from these emotions. I think you get angry and afraid and guilty and insecure a whole lot more than anything else that causes stress in your life. What do you think? A whole lot more than you indulge in activity that stresses you out. A whole lot more than you indulge in improper nutrition. A whole lot more than the environment affects you. I think most and the stress in your life comes from inside of you. In other words, you're killing yourself by being unwilling to take responsibility for yourself. You see? Now if I can see that, it gives me a real strong urge to be responsible, which is the other word for free. You all heard that, I'm sure. Every spiritual type on the planet wants to remind people of that, that responsibility and freedom are precisely the same word. We all believe that that's not the case. That's why they remind us so much. We've heard it so much that we believe that we understand it. But what we actually believe is that freedom is freedom from. Isn't that right? 
when you hear talk about people talk about what it would be to be free, they say it would be free to be free from all these things that I do not like. That's freedom. Except that's not responsibility. Responsibility is the ability to experience all those things that I don't like and respond to it creatively. That's called freedom. So freedom is not the freedom from, the ability to escape everything that annoys me. It's the freedom to experience everything, whether it annoys me or not. Or as a dear friend of mine used to like to say, you're going to experience it anyway, you might as well do it gracefully. Isn't that about the way it works out? For all your fighting and struggling not to experience things, you end up experiencing it anyway, isn't that right? But you ain't too graceful about it, I've noticed. With freedom, I'm free to experience it. It's here. I'm going to experience it for a period of time, whether I like it or not, so I might as well do it gracefully. Why bother to like it or dislike it? Why not just experience it gracefully? That would be freedom. Not the power to keep bad things from happening. That's not freedom. That's slavery. Freedom lies in an entirely different kind of power, not the power to control, to be important. That's to be enslaved. Because anything that I control, controls me. Ask any employer. You ever had employees? Didn't they control you? You got to tell them what to do. But didn't you live a hell of a lot of your life for them? I've had that experience. A hell of a lot of your life is lived for the people you supposedly are telling what to do. It's crazy. to have power to control not to be free now you're enslaved by that very thing that you're controlling you've got to stay there and wield your power over it or it'll get you now you're totally trapped by this thing that you claim to be controlling because if you ever stop controlling it think what it'll do it hates you now once it was just an unpleasant experience, now it hates your guts because you're controlling it. If it's a living being, isn't that right? You can't afford to relax control. Plus, all control is based on hypnosis when it comes to living beings. That means you've got to give them what they want or they'll come out of the trance. So you've got to be giving them a little bit of something or, or they'll stop buying your suggestions. based on conditioning. There's nobody to blame. It's just the way it is. You come here, you get conditioned to live this way. It is kind of a terrible thing for a free living being to be trapped in this kind of animal that does some pretty stupid and awkward things at times because of its conditioning. Isn't that right? It kind of makes you feel degraded, doesn't it? 
living inside of an animal that insists on doing things that to you are just despicable and yet you have no ability to stop it. Other things that you'd really like to do, it won't let you. You try really hard and it just says, no, I don't want to do that. Doesn't sound like any fun to me, but unfortunately you really want to do it. So we feel kind of degraded by this. So when we hear someone talk about living trapped in an animal, it brings up that sense of being degraded, doesn't it? And we want to run like hell. Well, guess what? It is degrading. It is degrading, isn't it? Being trapped in an animal that isn't too smart. And it does some kind of disgusting things along with a few nice things. But you deal with that degradation not by running like hell to get away from the feeling, but by deciding that you're the ruler of the animal, by taking charge of it so it does your will instead of its own. And that would be to really deal with that feeling. To feel so degraded that you decide that this work of understanding the animal that we live in so that it can do your will instead of its own is the only thing that's worth doing. Because it only has one will, and that's pleasure at any cost, at any price. And that's why we feel so degraded. Because we look at some of the prices that the animal is willing to pay for pleasure sometimes and we go, oh God, not that again. So, because I'm not willing to pay for pleasure at any price. The animal is. The form that I live in is, but I'm not. To me, all pleasures have a price. And when it exceeds the amount I'm willing to pay for it, I sort of say, well, no, thank you. I don't want it that bad. But the animal basically doesn't feel that way, does it? How many people have sold their soul for a little approval at some point in their life? They met someone who approved of them, and they were willing to do anything to keep that approval coming. How many of us have done some pretty outrageous things to escape pain? I mean, I know hardly anyone these days who doesn't abuse drugs or has it at some time in their life. It's just, you just sort of assume these days, so when you meet somebody, they're probably an ex-druggie, you know? Occasionally they're not, but most of the time they are. That's called paying any price to get away from pain, isn't it? Because it's quite a price. And I don't just mean you know, any drug. Just the ones you'd like to put on the list. Which, of course, excludes your drug of choice. <laughs> So we attempt to wake up inside of this animal by watching it as not I. 
saying that this animal has a personality that I've believed all these years was me, but in reality, is something that I have accumulated since I arrived on planet Earth. I didn't come here with a personality, folks. Some people say I didn't get one as I came here. Or stay. You understand? I did not come here with a personality. It was acquired over a period of years by the body, wasn't it? It's not my personality. It belongs to this body. This body acquired it over several years of existence. It's not me. That's to be free. To be free to live inside the body's personality and realize that it is not me. That I'm something much more real than a set of conditioned behavior that repeats endlessly at nauseam. that I'm capable of being creative and spontaneous and maybe doing something absolutely new not just repeating the same old endless things over and over again I don't want to be that personality it's very degrading and that's why so many people when they hear us talking about this hear it as something nasty and negative and unkind and crude because what we're talking about is someone trapped by a personality and in my opinion when you trap the most incredible being that exists in this universe in a set of repetitive actions that they believe to be themselves on top of it where the repetitive action does not care whom it hurts, self or others, it's degrading. It's very unpleasant. And I don't know any way to make that pretty. It's a very unpleasant thing, isn't it? Something that we take entirely for granted called having emotions, called anger, fear, guilt, and insecurity is destroying us. And we don't even know it because we're paying so little attention to our lives. Find out. <clears throat> Allow the experience to change you so you see no need for the power that comes from being angry or for the power that comes from being guilty. Was that experiment given out as well this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that is the next experiment, but we're going to take a break soon. To understand what the seduction is of these emotions. It's very difficult to uh, see that they're killing me when I think that they have great value. Because I don't want to see that. Then you're taking away the only thing that has value to me. Just because it's killing me. (laughs) Then we're in the the boat of any drug addict, aren't we? I mean, that's the way, that's exactly what a drug addict would say to you, isn't it? Just because this is killing me, you want me to stop. You know what a drug addict would say? You ever talk to somebody who's not ready to quit using drugs yet? Isn't that pretty much what they say? (laughs) 
Well, I think that's exactly what we all are, is drug addicts. Except that our drug of choice is anger, fear, guilt, and insecurity. <laughs> They're all drugs, you know. Just because you manufacture it yourself and dump it into your blood system all by yourself without buying them from someone else, doesn't mean they're not drugs. <laughs> Any questions or comments? <clears throat> I have one. Mm -hmm. um, does observing the not eyes stop the emotions? I don't think there's an absolute answer to that. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It depends on the amount of identification with what you're observing. Sometimes you observe them and you're still pretty much identified with them. And other times you observe them and you know exactly that it's not you. Is that an absolute experience? Or are there degrees of disidentification? Yeah, there are degrees. Well, then I would expect that there would be degrees of experiences of how, in other words, if I'm identified a little bit, I'm reporting it to access true and valuable, aren't I? Mm -hmm. Then I would expect to get the consequences of that. Okay, and is there a difference between um, between disidentifying with them, which makes them go away, and just I never said that. Where did or you, where, which where may did you which that? may make them go away? I never said that. Where did you hear that? Mm, I don't know. So I always have problems when somebody's reasoning based on faulty data because it, once you introduce one piece of information into a, a chain of reasoning that's false, nothing that follows it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So whatever conclusion you've come to based on that idea that doing self-observation will make the not-eyes go away is crap because that idea is not, not true. Not make the not-eyes go away, but make the emotions go away. I can't make anything go away. Okay. But you said that the emotions kill us. Yes. So, so then... So, having a logical mind, the only alternative you can see is to make them go away. Now, just how am I going to do that? How would I make the heart go away? Okay, that's what my question was. Is no, whether it's not. we... No, You didn't ask me how I'd make the heart go away. No, <coughs> um, but I was wondering if we could make them go away or if we simply just had to observe them. But look at, look at what you've done. you set up only two alternatives and neither one of them are true. You set up one alternative where you make them go away. I, I'm not sure how you do that. Maybe you stand with a shotgun. And so you'll shoot the next fear that comes along. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how you do that exactly. Make a fear go away. Okay? Um, and the other alternative is to suffer with these things for the rest of your life and observe them. Those are the only two alternatives you gave me, and they're both stupid. I'm telling you, once you have... Would like you to maybe hear this this time, okay? One piece of invalid information. Everything you thought after that is garbage. And that's invalid. 
what would be intelligent wouldn't be to try to resolve the contradictions, because the contradictions are based on believing garbage is truth, but on finding out what the facts are. Well, if you don't make them go away, and you don't just observe them for the rest of your life because you're stuck with them, what exactly do you do? Now, there's a question. Are there any other questions or comments before we take a break? <laughs> oh, you thought I was going to give the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you a question. I have an ideal. Ask for. <laughs> okay, let's take a break. Okay, any questions or comments? Stuffies? I do the work of observing this little thing called the vicious cycle, and I realize that having ideals is killing me by bringing up constant disappointment, which leads to anger, fear, guilt, and insecurity, which X interprets as a threat to my life, and then has to adapt to moving through all that, okay? <clears throat> Many people have seen this find that they still don't stop experiencing anger, fear, guilt, and insecurity. Sound pretty reasonable? Yep. You've seen that happen. Oh, More. just recently. Not you. <laughs> yeah. But other people. No, no. I'll cop to it. Took all about this for a long time, but still have those funny little things. Why is that? What motivates us to keep those? What motivates you to get angry? What's what's the real purpose behind anger? Like, nope. It's the purpose behind blame. Anger is the consequence of blame, so it's behind that. Want to control, wanting it away. It's called power, isn't it? You get angry enough, you'll frighten that other person into submission. They'll stop not living up to your ideal. They will agree to live up to your ideal. It's called the power to change my life. That's the belief, isn't it? That if I were just threatening enough, other people would live up to my ideals and then I wouldn't have to experience living. I could just make a perfect world where I could be asleep and it wouldn't matter, it would all be pleasant. So I don't want to stop being angry. Even what I see by looking at the vicious cycle, which I hope you're going to continue doing, even though we've talked about some other aspects of it, that doesn't mean you stop looking at it. Even when a person catches on with that anger, <clears throat> hurts the body. And if you do it enough, the body is damaged to the point where it can't function anymore and you're called dead. We still do it. This is a source of power to us. 
the power to change others so they'll be like I think they ought to be. In other words, you know, I'm God. I know how everyone else should be. And I have the power to make them be that way. Wow. Really something, huh? Everything but humble. But really something. <laughs> <laughs> What's the motivation for guilt? Power to change me. That's right. You do exactly the opposite of what you do when you get angry at someone else. You threaten yourself with a terrible state of existence called guilt. Oh, that's such fun, isn't it, sitting around in that morbid, disgusting place? And you'll hate it so much that you'll never do that again. And it works so well, doesn't it? <laughs> but seeing that it doesn't work, doesn't lose that attraction because it's the only power I know to change self. I don't know how to change myself. And I can't stand the thought of living in this self for the rest of my life the way it is. So I've got to do something, even if it doesn't work. Now that's really bizarre, isn't it? I will do something, even though it doesn't work, because I can't stand the thought that I don't know what to do. Which brings us to the next one, fear. What's the motivation in there? You can ward it off. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Somehow I'm worrying about it in advance. Mm -hmm. If I just think about it enough in advance, I'll be all prepared, and then this terrible thing that's going to disturb me in the future won't actually do it. Because I'll be so prepared for whatever happens that whatever it throws at me, I'll just reach into Felix's little bag of tricks and pull something out that dissipates it. Isn't that right? So I become Felix the cat. You guys may not be old enough to remember Felix the cat. I do. Yeah. You are? Okay. Sure. Pulls out his... Oh, they put him on the game, aren't they? Does he still have a bag of tricks? Does he still have a bag of tricks in the new one? But that's what we are, basically, through fear, right? We are all prepared for every possible contingency, and so it can't hurt me. Now I have the ideal, and it works so well, doesn't it? It always turns out just like you thought it would. But again, it's the only power we know. The fact that it doesn't work doesn't seem to bother us one bit, because it's the only thing we know. And I'd rather have something that doesn't work than nothing at all. Oh, what a horrible state that would be, wouldn't it? To just admit that I'm powerless. I'll leave insecurity up to your observations, but that will be the experiment for this week, as well as the rest of what we're doing to understand this thing and see the process of adapting and the destruction of the form will be to look at the times when you get into these emotions and say, what does the self believe that it's getting from this? What does it want out of this? 
and see if that's true. That this is the only power that it knows. And when you've discovered that that may be accurate, in other words, you've tried to prove that it's for some other reason, power. <clears throat> then you can say, does it work? You can start observing as the self does this, and say, did I actually get my way? And see how much of the time it actually gives you the power that it claims to have. Because we all do believe that it works much of the time. We all admit that it doesn't some of the time. But we believe that it does much of the time. It would be interesting to verify that belief. And then say, maybe there's another way to do things. There's another kind of power that isn't based on intimidating people. See, this is all about fear. All of them are about fear, isn't it? Anger is trying to make you afraid. Guilt is trying to make me afraid of the consequences of something. And then, of course, there's fear where I just am afraid. And then there's insecurity where I am afraid that I won't be safe tomorrow. So these are really all about living a life of fear, aren't they? <coughs> you understand how it is that X interprets this as your life being threatened. Because each of them is a form of fear. And X cannot tell the difference between fear, which is a ridiculous thing for a human being to experience, and the true startle that happens when you realize you're about to die. Because basically that's what fear says. I'm about to be badly damaged, possibly killed. And so X, of course, thinks that your life is in danger and does everything that it would if your life were in danger. Because that's what fear says, doesn't it? That's the state each one of those is in. It is a state of life-threatening emergency. Over absolutely nothing. And we do it because we believe that it gives us the power to change our life. That would be a very interesting thing to discover. If I really saw that, then I wouldn't have to make them go away. I would just lose interest. The next time, the not I suggested that we get really angry. This would be interesting. The point of view would be why? <laughs> Kill myself so that I can not change things even though you tell me it'll change things. That's ridiculous. So we just don't buy the suggestion. So we sing for ourselves, it's an illusion.
gave us this a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, what I observed when I looked, I looked, you know, I I got the part about, well, they're promising me that the world will be different. Yeah. I was complaining enough about it. And I wasn't even going to come back and report that because I thought that can't be it. That's too stupid, you know. <laughs> can't be what we're looking for. It is too stupid, but it's the truth. But that's what I came up with, is the world would be different. And somehow my saying this has this magical power magical to make the world power, different. That's right. But then the next thing that I saw was that I was not willing to give it up because giving and it up... What would you do? Giving it up is, is acknowledging that here you are in the world is not entirely to your liking, and that's just how it is. And But it's not. Hmm? That's just what they're telling you. That the world's not entirely to my liking? I mean, I'm pretty sure that it's not. I mean, parts of it that no, definitely... Because where does your taste come from? Just, some of it's just inherent. What conditions? Every last little bit. Some of it's in the body. I, mean, I know. That's what I just said. It's called conditioning. Mm -hmm. You are not adapted. There is no such thing as an inherent taste to a spirit. Mm -hmm. just demonstrated the point by, by the way that you defended it. <clears throat> what is in the body is not me. It's called conditioning. If you've grown up in that exact same body in different circumstances, you would find that you have much different taste. But the fact is, I have the taste I have for whatever reason. No, you don't. I don't have it? The self has it. Very seductive, isn't it? Lots of things about teaching that's hard to imagine. I would recommend you just go experience it rather than try to imagine. What is that? Being free to experience the taste of the body and not call it yours. Realize that it is just not us. Jumping up and saying, this experience has given pleasure in the past and will this time and will again, which is not always true. Yeah. Things that are to my taste oftentimes don't turn out too good. But other things that are not to my taste oftentimes turn out quite well. So their conditioned tastes are not even accurate. They're not even good estimations. I mean, I've been often been surprised by things that I was certain would not be enjoyable. And they were. There was the freedom to see that that was just conditioned taste and try it anyway. See what happens. Once you get to that point, there's another thing that we can talk about. <coughs> but unfortunately, as long as you're identified with the conditioned taste, 
thing and just give you an excuse to believe that you found it when all you've done is so the sun tastes it's like everything else as long as there's an instruction you can't see what's real and so what you end up doing if you hear about what's real is you label one of the obstructions the real That is exactly the, I mean, you just let me write it to what I couldn't remember, but anyway. <laughs> well, I was interrupting you when you were trying to Yes, <laughs> making efforts to get the mind to remember. Um, that is exactly the point, that the entire personality is built around the idea of improving this world so it will be to my taste. That's what it's completely about. And as long as we're identified with it, it is very, very frightening to us to give up this idea of making things better. So anytime the self suggests that it can make something better, we kind of tend to buy the suggestion. And as a result, we have never experienced the perfection of man. We have no idea what it is like to live fully in this moment. We're always dreaming of how this moment could be better. Or how much better this moment is than another moment we just experienced. And we've never lived in the absolute perfection of now. The dreams are always of some other time time that was not as good as this one, or a time when it will be better. <coughs> it would be very interesting to look at this game that the self is playing, of believing that because things are not to the conditioned taste that I have acquired, I didn't come here with them, I acquired them. Because they are not to those conditioned tastes, which have nothing to do with me as a spirit, and what I came here with, I cannot experience being here. That is to be conditioned. This has been said before, perhaps it will be heard by someone this time, that the word conditioned which we all understand means that if you do something several times in a row, it becomes uh, a fact of our existence. <clears throat> the word means to put a condition on the willingness to experience living. That's what conditioning is. Every bit of conditioning in the personality is an unwillingness to experience this moment freely. It says, this moment is not okay. And it puts a condition on its willingness to experience. You know what that means? It means you die. You've said, if it's not like this, then I will not live. That's called the condition on your willingness to experience this moment. So you do, you die. You died in this moment. So people for thousands of years have called folks who are living in conditioning dead. 
And they meant it, because they are. They're dead to the experience of this moment. They're so busy thinking about how it could be better, and how much better it was another time, and considering all their conditions that would make it better, that they're not even experiencing this experience. They're experiencing their thoughts, not what's going on. They're experiencing their beliefs, and their opinions, and their feelings, but not what's going on, so they're dead. That's what conditioning is. When you identify with one of those conditions that says, I can not experience this, then you have died. You came here to be human. That's what you came here for. What, did you think you came here to be a rabbit? And you just, like, missed? <laughs> There's a lovely rabbit wound, you know, and you just missed it. Ended up in this goddamn human body. You came here to have the human experience, whatever that is. And then once you had it, you put all these conditions on it and said, I don't like it. And yet you won't have the decency to just stop. So you're caught in this odd, odd, weird place where you're dead to the experience of being human, which is what you came here to do, was get the human experience. <clears throat> you don't want it anymore, unless it's always pleasant, and yet you won't have the decency to do something about the situation, either by going free or just dropping dead. One of the two. So you live in this terrible state of agony and conflict and make yourself and everyone around you miserable because you change your mind and don't want the human experience after all. The human experience is not your ideal of what it should be. It's the human experience. In other words, this is it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I came here for, to experience this. And as long as I'm here, this is what I'm going to do, is have the human experience. When I finally get bored with it, then I'll go do something else. I'll find out what the next experience I can have is. Maybe there's two or three and I'll get to pick. I don't know. Don't know that yet. Not ready to. Still enjoying the human experience. This is the human experience, whatever you're having. Not your picture of how it ought to be. Everyone says the human experience ought to be pleasant. I don't notice that anyone's actually having that human experience, however. I think this is the human experience, folks. What's wrong with it? I think it is the most challenging game I've ever played. You arrive here having no idea what's going to happen. Or worse yet, you do have an idea. <laughs> but I've noticed most people don't have an idea when they get here. You're greeted 
<coughs> by a world that is functioning quite well, a couple slaves to look after you, who all agree with you that the point of the human experience is to always feel good and never cause pain or have pain caused to you. That is the highest ideal that we can hope for, and yet it has never existed. You cannot look at one person's life and say that they have lived a life where they caused no one pain and felt none themselves. You show me one person who had the human experience that you believe you should be having. Who is that person? Movie stars? What a joke. <laughs> Every so often we get privy to their inner lives, huh? Woo! I thought I was seedy. And I am. <laughs> I make no bones about it. I'm here to live, not to live up to an ideal. sneak around trying to pretend that I'm something different than I am. I'm trying to be exceeding. Otherwise, if you believe that you can have those ideals, that... Believe all you like. And what's wrong with going after them? If you're so certain... It will certain destroy you and make you miserable. There's nothing wrong with it, but I'll tell you what the consequence is. That's what we've been talking about all night long. The consequence of buying that story is that you die a terrible death. If that's okay with you, pleasant dreams. But if you have whatever ideals you, you had in your mind, you, you succeed in having them. Show me one person who has. I just asked you to do that, and you're in arguing with me instead. Demonstrate that that theory is a fact, and I'll be interested. As long as it remains a theory, and I look around and I never see an instance of the theory, I suspect it's an illusion. Why? Like your ideal could be having this job, or having this boyfriend, Show or having that. Show me one person I, who's lived that life. I did. I, did. I see the suffering in your body. Because I have other ideals. But it doesn't mean that, well, that I didn't realize point. the ones that I had. You're proving my point, and you're not even listening. <clears throat> it's the ideals that are generating the suffering, and you just said so. So, that's fine. I have no problems with that. Suffer on. That'll be your human experience. I chose a human experience that is extremely hard work. It's called waking up in the midst of an animal and doing the incredible effort that it takes to remain conscious when it's so easy to slip back off to sleep and let the animal run the show. That's the human experience that I personally chose. I don't recommend it. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. On the other hand, if you're interested, I'll be glad to tell you how it's done. 
I'm not recommending it. I'm not saying you ought to do this. I don't know if it's any better than any other human experience. Personally, I found parts of it quite unpleasant and parts of it outrageously pleasant. Those I don't go into. I'll talk about the unpleasant parts. <laughs> But isn't not having an ideal, it's an ideal itself? Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. You've never studied logic, I can see that. <laughs> that statement means nothing. If you were to study logic, it would, it would be quite amused to find out what the statement actually means, huh? How can you study logic? Same way you study anything else, the same way you study the piano or arithmetic or any other thing. Do you think any person who reads logical books, they can be logical? What? If, if people study logical things and they read logical books... I didn't books. say that. You're, you're not even addressing what I said. What I said... <clears throat> was that if you knew what that statement actually said, if you knew the logic behind it, which you don't, you say it without even knowing what it means, I think you would be highly amused. Yes. It is a very logical statement, whether you like it or not. Which statement? Oh, God. And we don't have any conditioning, do we? Of course, I can't remember what I was doing two minutes ago. The statement that not having an ideal is an ideal. That is the subject What's of the logic discussion. behind that? You find out. I think you'll be highly amused. If I just tell you, you'll just argue with me. You go find out. I think you'll be highly amused. Mm. That statement actually means something quite amusing. Wouldn't you tell us? Excuse me? What's your opinion? Of what? Of logic is not an opinion. No, you said, if you would find out, you would be amused. Wouldn't you tell, tell us, so we would be amused? No? No? I just got I wouldn't. I think you would enjoy the experience. I wouldn't steal that from you for all the world. <laughs> Don't steal things if I can keep from it from people. <coughs> <coughs> At any rate, <coughs> that is one possible human experience. It's not the only one. You don't have to choose that one. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever you came here to have a human experience. And I've noticed that most humans experience being dead to the world. <laughs> the real world <coughs> spirit, that is. Okay. And that's fine. If you would like to experience the other one, it takes tremendous effort because this body wants to sleep. The part of the body that is able to carry the full energy of consciousness in it or even begin to allow that to happen is not functioning right now. It can only be made to function by the spirit doing very difficult work called seeing this body and its thoughts and its emotions 
its beliefs, and everything about it is not me. Then I can come to a realization of being spirit. As long as I believe that I'm something that I am not, which is a form, then I will never see that I am actually an invisible spirit that uses this form to express itself, and that is one human experience that one can have. It is to consciously use the animal to express yourself. Very few choose that particular human experience, but it is available to those who want it. But it takes hard work, because you have to activate something in the body that makes it possible to carry the incredible energy that goes along with the spirit living fully inside of the body. The method of activating that is to completely disidentify from the body and everything about it, its personality, its beliefs, its hungers, its appetites, its desires, that does not mean that there are no hungers and appetites and desires. It means disidentify from that hungers and appetites and desires of the form. And so this is all not me, so that you can remember what you are, which you've unfortunately forgotten in the experience of being a body. Somewhere in that body there is an incredible being who no longer remembers itself, who believes it is the experience it's had since it arrived on planet Earth. If that being comes back to itself, and fully realizes itself as itself again, then it can begin to express as itself. That's one possible human experience. But oddly enough, that one means accepting the entire human experience, not putting conditions on it. That's what the body does and the personality does, is puts conditions on the human experience and says, I will only experience it if it is pleasant. The spirit doesn't do that. Many, many, many who have awakened in the body have demonstrated that fact, haven't they? We're all quite impressed by some of the incredible things that conscious folks have occasionally done. I knew one guy who had an operation without And he didn't want to miss out on the experience, so he refused to take anesthetic. So he sat and joked with the doctors as they cut open his belly and removed a tumor from one of his kidneys. You know who that man was? Krishna Marie. He was here at Cedar Sinai. That's how come I know about him. I had a friend who was a nurse at Cedar Sinai and they invited me to come down and meet him. After all, couldn't run. <laughs> all the doctors, you should have seen people at the hospital, they were just full. And the guy was actually making jokes. I wasn't there, but everyone was talking about it in the hospital. He was making jokes with them while they're cutting him open and taking parts of him out and sewing him back together again. What's his name again? Krishna Marie. Dead. Just recently, a few years ago. That is the spirit expressing itself and not taking the body seriously. 
it can express itself in any way it chooses, regardless of the conditioned taste of the animal that it's expressing through. In other words, it's actually running the animal instead of the other way around. Because that's what the animal does. It puts conditions on everything. And those conditions, it's up to you to find this out for yourself. And I think if you actually see this, you're quite in a different state than you are now with the way the animal works. Each of those conditions says, I will die if. Because we're talking about living. You're putting conditions on living. And that's actually what each of those things says. They sound so innocuous when you hear the words go through your head. You don't see the actual condition that's going on behind all those thoughts. But that's what is really going on. I will die if it is not like this. And you do. You die in the spirit, and eventually you destroy the form, and you got to split. Whatever you do next. I'm not saying dying is bad, you understand. But it is a fact. That is what you accomplish with your time on planet Earth as you learn to die. Which I guess is useful if that's what you want to do. They tell us that it's possible while you're on planet Earth to learn to live forever. Most people learn how to die. Isn't that amusing? They come here to a place where it's possible to learn to live forever. And what they actually learn is how to take life and turn it into death rather than everlasting life. Any questions or comments? The power to change is what we all want. How do we get it? Because we put conditions on our experiencing of living. All teaching talks not about change, but about experiencing this moment freely. It says when you can be right where you are with complete freedom, then perhaps you can find out what change is. But what you're calling change is just more of the same. The true change comes about when you're completely free to be exactly where you are. We've talked a bit about that in terms of the four forces before, that by struggling to move, to stop something, you're providing it the second force to make it real. If you understand the four forces, that old so-called spiritual concept suddenly just becomes a fact in the universe. The harder you fight against whatever it is that you're fighting against, the more second force you give it, and the more initiative it puts out, and the greater the form becomes, and pretty soon you will have the result called destruction. <laughs> when you finally stop fighting, stop providing second force and initiate something else, you're absolutely free to move. Because that thing that's been going at you all those years has no second force anymore. Damn. <laughs>
So we hear it as some kind of weird paradox because we don't understand why the universe works. All of the things that we hear from so-called spiritual people that sound like paradoxes are simply descriptions. Except you don't have the full description. So it sounds paradoxical. Any questions or comments? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I remember correctly. Did you say there were four kinds of stress? Yes. I think I only Activity, nutrition, <coughs> environment, and state of being. Otherwise, for most of us known as emotions because they're the only state of being that we've ever experienced. Those are sources of stress, okay? They're not necessarily stress. It's just those are the only four places stress can come from. Where else could it come from? What else is there besides those four things? So it's just identifying the different places where something can come from. That means that if I'm doing poorly for some reason, if the body is in this state of adaptation, I know where to look to see what part of the lifestyle is not working for me, because that's what the adaptation is telling me, that something about the way that you're living is destroying you. Now, we've always believed that it attacks us from the outside, there's germs and genetic deficiencies and all this kind of stuff, so we don't have to take responsibility for our lifestyle. But if we understand this, we see that it's our lifestyle that's doing it, the way that we're living. So if you're not too healthy or you're not feeling quite up to par, you look and say, where is the stress coming from? And there are four places to look. Is it coming from activity? Have I changed activities recently in some odd way that's doing this? Is it coming from nutrition? And usually it comes from a change in diet. Although, the human form being what it is, having no change in their life is extremely stressful. Doing the same thing day in and day out exactly the same way will kill you folks. I know it's something you want, it's called security, but it will kill you. The human body requires a certain amount of change or it actually loses the ability to adapt. Why, why should it adapt? You see, it has no reason to adapt because you're providing precisely the same circumstances over and over again. And like any other function of the body, if you don't lose, use it, then it atrophies. And then if there is ever a sudden change in your lifestyle, you have an atrophied ability to adapt so you end up dying. That is a very common means of death on planet Earth because people want security so badly. <clears throat> or it could be from uh, the environment. You always check out your environment. There may be something going on there that really needs attention. Most likely, of course, it's from your emotions that you have. But always check out all four. Don't just assume that because you've been in, in an odd state for the last few days, that that's the only place it could have come from. Sometimes it could come from a couple places at the same time. These things are in a state, oddly enough, of balance. Okay? That's why there are four. <laughs> See, they're another <coughs> implementation of universal law. Everywhere you look, there is universal law. So what it says is that these four are in balance. Now the oddly th odd thing is, we're going to talk about this in this real intellectual way, 
And then if you were to actually think about it, it would just be like, yeah, right, that's obvious film. <clears throat> but what that says is that if this is, um, if this is activity, and this is nutrition, <clears throat> and this is state of being, and this is uh, environment, it says, if you change your activity, probably your nutrition will change with it. In other words, <laughs> if you don't do as much, you won't be as hungry. Huh. <laughs> wow. They're in balance. You see, it's the most obvious thing in the world when you actually consider what that means to be in balance. So if I increase my activity, one way to keep this back in balance is to increase my nutrition. Although, actually, I could do it by just changing my state of being and leave the nutrition alone. Most of us don't know how to be in charge of our state of being, so we can't do that. So we have to eat more or less. But all of these things, and if you change your environment, probably your activity will change, too. It's a very obvious factor when you consider it. They're in a state of balance. So you can't just look at one thing and say it's the cause, you see. <clears throat> you may identify something that changed recently and realize that it's out of balance, but then you look and you actually realize that something else went out of balance, and what you're calling out of balance is actually the balancing action to this <laughs> thing over here that went out of balance, you see. They're in a state of, of dynamic equilibrium. So it's possible that changing your activity could change all three. It could change your environment and your state of being and your nutrition. Again, that's obvious if you consider it, not as some intellectual thing, but as a fact. Let's say I change my activity and I decide to get on a train. Do you suppose that my nutrition will change? And that my environment will be different? And perhaps my state of being will be different than it was when I wasn't on the train. You see, it's the most obvious thing in the world, isn't it, that these are in relationship. The problem is that we all think in cause and effect. So it's well known <coughs> that these things cause stress. What is not well known is that they are in a state of balance, because human beings only see cause and effect. So we have specialists in nutrition. And they swear that if you just have exactly the right nutrition, then everything will be perfect for you. And they forget that if your nutrition doesn't match your activity, then you don't have the right nutrition. They have to be in balance. You cannot prescribe nutrition for someone. You have to look at the whole thing. <clears throat> and we have specialists in activity. These days they're called personal trainers, I understand. <laughs> And they swear that they know exactly the right amount of exercise that will put you in the peak of health. Well, I don't care how much I exercise. If I walk around in a really low state of being and don't eat well, I don't think I'm going to be in the peak of health, folks. But you see how people do this. They say one thing has an effect on this lifestyle and put it into a kind of balance that I like, as opposed to the balance that exists now, which I don't like. And so then they go around advocating that for everyone. Maybe it only work for them. 
perhaps you have to find your own balance between these four things that works for you. But if you change one, the others will be affected. And they will compensate. Okay. So you may find if your state of being changes, that your appetite will change. Your environment may change. You may even find out what an environment is. <laughs> change their state of being or consciousness, they simply become unable to do things that they used to be able to do. And discover that there are things that never interested them at all that suddenly interest them as things rebalance to their new state of being. Quite common. Okay. Any other questions or comments? Yes. Did you remember again when you said about resisting resistance, you give it a form and you make it first, second, third, and fourth forms. <clears throat> Something comes along that you don't like. So what do you do? You try to stop it. What is that called? Resistance. That's called second force, isn't it? Well, you just made it possible. You just made it worse. I don't know whether it's better or worse. But you certainly made it possible. Had you not resisted it, it could not have come into existence because it would have no second force. If the four forces were real as opposed to an idea, it would be the most obvious thing in the world. Without second force, something cannot into existence. It requires first and second force to create the form. Without second force, there will be no form. Without form, there can be no result. So by trying to stop it, you make it possible. Just about the opposite of the way we normally think of things, isn't it? We believe in cause and effect. not universal law. <clears throat> so one of the odd things that one who is living freely can do is choose what they will resist and therefore what they will allow to come into existence. <laughs> Resisting the resistance makes it happen? Makes what happen? The form take shape? It allows a form that is based on resisting the second force, yes. Because now the second force is no longer second force. I told you these forces change all the time depending on what set of relationships they're in. What started as second force to something that you were doing has now become first force in your life because you started giving a second force. It is no longer second force. So 
their first force. It's running the show, not you. That's right. first force. You're not doing some first force anymore. You've changed what you're doing. You're now resisting the resistance. Okay. You have an entirely new effort that has nothing to do with what you set out to do. Okay. Right. So that so old game that you're thinking about is gone. You're pretending like it's still there. It's gone. So yes, you get a very interesting form. usually leads to some form of violence or destruction. <clears throat> Psychologists know this. I mean, again, it sounds really fancy when you only think about it intellectually and you don't have the experience of it. Repress an emotion of what happens. It will come out in the most violent possible way, isn't that right? By giving it second force, you make it a tremendously powerful force in your life. And when it does come out, it's so incredibly outrageous. And it comes out all the time in subtle little ways. So you actually have created the very thing that you were trying to stop. It explains so many things when you actually understand the four forces. But say you've heard this intellectually and not experimented with not made an attempt to prove it wrong. One of the things that was suggested several weeks ago is that you actually do experiments with resisting your resistance and see what happens. Um, a little bit of effort was put into it and then it was no longer interesting. I don't know why. It's something you do all the time. I think that would be one of the most interesting things there could possibly be to you since you do it all the time. Wouldn't you like to know the outcome? The consequence? So you can start seeing things clearly. But, but see, we get kind of bored, don't we? And then we just start doing it intellectually. And when you hear about the stuff intellectually, it sounds, oh, so fancy and stuff. And then you hear about what it actually means, and it's like, well, I know that. It's the difference between an idea and the experience that allows you to apply an idea. This law runs the universe. So it runs everything from the most simple, obvious things in the world to the most outrageously complex and sublime. There's only one law that runs this universe. And it's called the universal law of four forces. So it's in everything. Any other questions or comments? Oh, there you go.